Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Thursday, November 9th, and man, this week's been a bit better than the previous few. Anyone who says that we like it when there's strife and losing and controversy and coaches clapping back at fans, that's simply not true. It's just much easier uh, with every, just about every element of the job when they coming off a big win and a crucial win. Paul Strelo and I at Tiger Illustrated are covering every facet of this team, this program, as it tries to improve to 6-4 and four on Saturday versus Georgia Tech. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 990 Four five eight one or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to Discover harris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as ITTE members. Its office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Okay, loved this interview with Todd Summers, going deep into his process, how he does his job. So many fascinating elements to it. Good stuff. Here we go. Enjoy. All right, joined by Todd Summers, uh, the WSPA longtime award-winning sportscaster and I think a frequent listener to this podcast, so I'm flattered. Thank you. That is correct. You do a great job, Larry. We appreciate it, and uh, excited to be on it after hearing so many great guests over the years. I'm a little intimidated um, because I I type for a living. You speak for a living, and I'm I'm uh, a bit of an amateur at the speaking thing, the public speaking thing. So uh, if I sound nervous, then that explains it. <laughs> oh, it's all right. Um, I, Todd, I just now. Uh, about two minutes before I called you, I pulled up the, for the first time, I saw the um, Dabo watching the tribute video from his former coaches and I guess some current players and staff, but former Brent Venables, James Skalski, et cetera. And uh, man, that was awesome seeing him see that. I guess that was right after the press conference, uh, after the Notre Dame game, he went into another room in the West End Zone facility, and that's where he tapes his his uh, TV show, his weekly TV show, and you are behind the scenes on that. So I'm really glad we're talking um, so we can talk about that. Well, that was really cool, really well done by Clemson, but you were sort of a fly on the wall too for that whole thing. So what was it like for you? Well, it was it was pretty cool. To truth be told, uh, 
the video had been sitting on my laptop for three weeks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We had it yeah, ready to go right. in Miami. We had it ready to go in Raleigh. And we had it ready to go in Clemson. So I guess the blessing in disguise was that uh, he got to see it at Clemson and his family was there. His kids were kind of in the background. And of, of all people in the background was John Olerud, the baseball player. His daughter goes to Clemson. So he was in the room. His mom was in the room. So it was really cool. We wanted to make sure it was a surprise. So we did everything kind of as we normally do for the coaches show where we show them the first half highlights and then we show them the second half highlights. And then uh, usually he takes his mic off and walks away. And we're like, whoa, whoa, just don't take it off real quick. We want to show you something real quick. So I had it queued up and ready to go, and we hit play on that. And probably within, I don't know, five, ten seconds, you could tell he was he was kind of humbled and enjoying it. And once he got to Gene Stallings, you could kind of yeah. tell the, the emotions were pretty strong. And by the time it was done, he was – barely able to talk he was kind of so emotional and you know thanked us for doing it and it meant a lot to him you could tell that you know just for what he'd been through in the last couple of weeks and the journey that his whole story as a whole has uh you know it's always neat to see the people that you've touched along the way and their appreciation and he had you know guys on that video from early on guys from the middle guys from the current team former coaches on his staff and it was it was really really cool to just see him you know moved the way he was um to see all those guys uh certainly gene stallings too um kind of congratulate him for the accomplishment of becoming the school's all-time winningest coach Coach Sweeney. Coach, Hunter Renfro here. Coach Sweeney. What's up, Coach? What's up, Coach Sweeney? It's Skowski. Yo, what's up, Coach? It's Grady. Congrats, Coach Sweeney, on becoming the winningest coach in Clemson football history. 166 wins, all-time record. That's amazing, Coach. And to have done it in less than 16 full seasons is just extraordinary. Not bad for a D-plus hire, if you ask me. <laughs> Love you, big dog. That's a big compliment to you your players, and the staff. Also, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to be on the sideline with you with all of these victories. It all started with that sign. You said believe, and we did, and so many classes after us. Uh, and for you to, to take the program to the level that it's at, uh, nobody's more deserving. Uh, there's nobody more deserving. I cannot thank you enough for all you've done for, for me personally, the foundation that you've set. Uh, I can't see a way that it's not successful um, in, in the future for, for a long time. Dad, congratulations. Congratulations on becoming the winningest coach in the history of Clemson football. Just unbelievable. I mean, only God can write that story. You've earned everything that you've gotten. And most of all, you have now turned Clemson into the model program in college football by doing things the right way. You have this unique ability to get the most uh, out of people. Uh, you're built on all the right stuff. I mean, you live that best as the standard to the T. Integrity is never taken for granted with you, and you always make sure things are done correctly, and you've just really helped a lot of people grow. Devil. What a joy it is to congratulate you on being the winningest coach at Clemson in a short period of time. You're an outstanding example for all of us within the coaching profession. Your win-loss record speaks for itself. That's the way you handle yourself is extremely important and impressive. There's a saying that a good coach can win a game and a great coach can change a life. And I am in a long line of former players and coaches that you've genuinely changed and enriched 
uh, our lives. Just been not even just a coach, but just has been that, that father figure that you look for in regards to just not even caring about football, but caring about you as a man. And I wouldn't be where I am without you. I'm so grateful for you. You're one of the best to ever do it, one of the best coaches I've ever had. So much gratitude for what you have meant to me, not only on the football field, but on a personal level. Thanks for always believing in me, always believing in you. We appreciate everything you do for the program. Appreciate everything you did for me. Keep winning, keep changing lives, and keep being great. You've built a special place and wish you nothing but the best. Many, many, many more to come. Congrats on you, Coach. We love you. Now we're going to keep fighting to get you many more. I wouldn't want to have another person in the entire world as our head coach. Congratulations. Go Tigers. Congratulations, and thank you uh, for making an impact on college football. Uh, that is uh, it's going to last a lifetime. You're the best. You're a special coach. You're a special man. You've had belief the whole way and uh, it's brought you here. So congratulations. And like you always say, the best is yet to come. Uh, mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you yeah. for making me better for all of us. Yeah, I appreciate that. that awesome. And so this, you said this was after he finished the normal uh, duties for the coaches show for the TV Correct. show. Yeah. What, uh, just so you know, the operation of how it all works. He, uh, usually, you know, meets with the team after the game. If it's a win, they dance and you know, you know how it is. They take a little while in the locker room and then he'll come upstairs, uh, already showered at that point. He'll do the press conference, which is usually about 30 minutes. And after that press conference, he walks right out the door, straight into a door where we are. And we put the mic on him, and he starts going. Usually the whole process of taping the coach's show takes less than 15 minutes. Really? We've got it down to a, to a pretty pretty good science. Um, so it's it's an interesting story as to how it all kind of comes together because there's three of us that you know do a lot of the heavy lifting on it. Pete Yannity sits back at the station and kind of – puts it all together, like takes the different segments and edits them all together and, you know, makes it all work out. And then John Burton's the producer of the show and he'll, he's the one who, you know, rolls the feeds on the game itself and then shoots the interview with Dabo and Don. And he kind of keeps them on track time wise there. And I'm the one who from the start of the game to the end of that coach's show, I really don't have 15 seconds of free time just because you know once the game starts i'm on the sidelines you've probably seen me down there with my big 20 pound camera i'll shoot every play of the game and as the game plays out any play that's you know an offensive play of probably between you know anything more than five yards i'll jot down on my phone and then any defensive play that's notable a sack a tackle for loss, an interception, a fumble recovery. This past week, interestingly enough, I wrote down Aiden Swanson's name three or four times <laughs> because he played a part in the game. So I, by the time I get done with the game, I'll have probably 30 to 40 notes written down, and I've got to do it that way because at halftime, I'll run in, literally run into the media room where we work downstairs, the one in the West End Zone, and frantically edit. Halftime's 20 minutes long, and I need 19 minutes and 59 seconds to do what I got to do. And I'll edit the first half highlights somewhere in the ballpark of three and a half to four minutes. By the time I get that done, I'll quickly edit a couple shots for our TV newscast, Channel 7. And by the time that's done, 
I'm walking out and foot is hitting ball and they're starting start the second half and I repeat the process. Same thing, shoot the second half, come back in, frantically edit the second half highlights and get those done. That's about, again, another three and a half, four minutes of plays. Now back five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, it was a little easier to find exciting plays because you know they were getting 500 yards a game and scoring you know 50 points a lot of time but you know you, you kind of just know of the flow of the game what's going to make the highlights and what's not going to make the highlights and that kind of thing so when it's all said and done it's about between seven and a half and eight minutes of highlights once those edited highlights are done i'll probably have maybe a minute or two and that's when the players come into the room which thankfully now is right beside where i edit i mean it might be five steps to where we go in and then we'll talk to usually four sometimes it's five players and i'll edit down those players um you know kate klubnik will shipley jeremiah trotter and barrett carter you know those, let's say those are the four i'll take that edit it down to about 45 to 50 seconds and then that'll be where don says after the second half highlights now let's go into the locker room brought to you by and then that'll be something that i've already got edited so that's done and then after I get the edited highlights done, I'll go upstairs and make sure that Dabo is as efficient as he can possibly be. When he gets done with that press conference, everything is ready to go. Like he doesn't have to wait on us at all. And at home, it's pretty easy. On the road, sometimes it's a little challenging because the windows are smaller. And for the long road trips, Notre Dame, Miami, Boston College, uh, Syracuse, we'll fly with the team. A lot of times, not every time, but most, sometimes we fly with the team. So Dabo gets done. He takes the microphone off and he walks to the bus. Well, we've got to take a tripod down, a camera down. I got to shut down the editor. I got to pack this stuff up so that it can be put onto a plane. And like, I remember at Notre Dame last year, John was sick and he didn't go. And we were like, I was literally running to the bus because I didn't want the bus to leave me. And uh, but again, the goal was to make it as efficient as possible for Dabo so that, you know, he can do what he needs to do. And we're not, you know, slowing him down. And one year it was a funny story. I was like, kind of keep going on. We were in Tallahassee and same thing. The, the situation played out and we're running to the truck and we're, we're hurrying and hurrying. I'm thinking, oh, I hope they don't leave me. Oh, I hope I don't leave. And we passed Dabo. Dabo had stopped, was talking with fans, was signing autographs. <laughs> I'm thinking he's in this big hurry, and he's, you know, being Dabo, which is, you know, a very personable and easygoing guy. And uh, so we made it. So far, we, the, the, the bus hasn't left us, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. Todd, listening to your game day routine, I, I'm exhausted, first of all. <laughs> um, also, it can be exhausting. I'm embarrassed. Because my game day routine, I think you, I'm going to share it with you. And I think you're going to be ready to physically assault me after I share it with you. Um, I mean, it's work. I mean, I, you know, I, it's a job. But my routine is uh, I'll stroll in usually two hours before the game so I can see some of the pregame warm-ups and maybe get a bite to eat. Uh, go to press row, pull my computer out, set it up and maybe watch another game, <laughs> eat a cookie, eat a brownie. <laughs> um, <laughs> during the game, um, I mean, I'm sitting there watching the game while also watching it on my computer and listening on my AirPods to the broadcast, uh, to the TV broadcast. So 
you know, if there's a good analyst that, you know, I'm able to learn something from that, uh, have, I don't have to write anything during the game. I'm back, I might, you know, I'll uh, pop in on our message board at Tiger Illustrated and communi- you know, take part in the conversation every now and then. Uh, halftime, go eat again. <laughs> <laughs> now, in fairness, I'll eat before the game. Yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm just saying I, it's a leisurely. That'll get to do, but yeah, it's, it's a. Uh, it, it's like a. It, it sounds like a vacation compared to your, compared to your routine. So after the game, um, well, since Dabo, since they take so long on the field, um, you know, the gathering at the Paul and all that, and since Dabo takes so long in the locker room, and since Dabo takes so long, <laughs> taking a shower and all that. I mean, I I can sit there immediately after the game and spend about a half hour writing my immediate column from the game then leisurely pack my stuff up and walk <laughs> leisurely stroll down to the to the uh to the to the big meeting room where Dabo has his press conference I usually don't go to the player interviews mainly because we have an intern who does that and also it's just such a it's it's such a kind of a mess because with so many people it's just like a log jam of people in there I usually figure it's not really worth my time so I leisurely stroll into the into the uh, main meeting room where Dabo is going to be, knowing that it's going to be at least another half hour before he comes in. And so then I'd leisurely write what I write what I have to write for the Sunday morning <laughs> for uh, yeah. the Sunday morning article. Finish that, and then probably wait another fifteen minutes or so for Dabo to show up. Watching games on my computer, then Dabo shows up. You know, sit there and you take part in his the banter, you know, with his press conference for about a half hour usually. Uh, and then I stroll out and then maybe go <laughs> hang out with a friend at a tailgate and crack a beer. And then when I'm ready to go home, I'll go home. So, yeah, um, I'm glad that we're not in person because I th- you'd probably punch me. Uh, by uh, every, now. Everybody has different roles on game day. They, I, I left out the part that as soon as we get done with the Dabo Coaches show, then I have – you know, we'll turn my attention to getting something ready for the news. So I'll, I'll put together a story on the new, news from the game, and then I have to walk back out to the stadium and do a little on-camera thing. And uh, that I can't do that on when we fly with the team. I just there's just not time. But if, if if it's home, if it's at home or it's a game where we drive, we'll drive to Atlanta, we'll drive to Raleigh, drive to Chapel Hill, Durham, those ones. Then I'll stay after and do my little on-camera thing and send that back. But uh, you know, I, I look at it like. My Saturdays are very busy. They're very, you know, every minute is accounted for. But at the same time, I'm at a football game on the sidelines, experiencing the crowd, experiencing the cheers, experiencing the touchdowns, you know, the whole process from field level. Are you kidding me? I mean, like, there are people that would pay thousands of dollars to do that. So that's pretty cool. My wife's a school teacher. So, you know, she deals with. She's, you know, used to be in kindergarten and first grade. Now she's moved over to an ESOL job that's a little less uh, hectic and, and crazy. But she comes home and she'll tell me stories about kindergartners and first graders and the things that they do. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to a football <laughs> game, man. This is this is this isn't work compared to you know what the teachers of the world, the you know doctors of the world, the, the people that are you know fixing roads. Those are the people that are working for a living. So I, I I try to keep it in perspective in the sense that I mean you know this. Think of the places we've gotten to go because of Clemson football. 
Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to go to Tampa. I've gotten to go to Phoenix a couple times. I've gotten to go to Santa Clara. I've gotten to go to Orlando, Miami, Notre Dame. You know, it's like, and if they switch out of the ACC and go into another league, you're going to get some new schools and some new road venues. And, you know, of all the things that I do, because once football season ends, it kind of settles back down. And I, I, I kind of, there was a funny tweet I sent out many, many years ago. We were covering the national championship in Santa Clara, came back the next day, and I was shooting a Wren girls volley, girls soccer, uh, girls basketball game. I was so it's like national championship, Wren girls basketball. So it's like you know, keep it in perspective a little bit. There's there's you know there's highs and lows and all that stuff. But that's that's what I enjoy about my job is that I get to do a little bit of everything. If I had to cover football, if for some reason football was three sixty five, it would physically and mentally wear me out. Like I couldn't do it. But from, you know, you know how it is, August to December, maybe it's into mid-January, depending on how the season goes. You know, you're jacked up and ready to go. But when it ends, when it's over, you can kind of exhale a little bit. And you're like, whew. And then, you know, you, you go into basketball mode, but basketball mode's not quite the same as football mode is. And then you kind of get, get it cranked up for basketball mode. And then once basketball season's over, you, you kind of exhale there, too. And then you go into baseball mode. Each one's kind of, you know, maybe a, I don't I hate to say it's like a step down, but it's like it's a, it's a, it's a little less taxing on me, you know. So that's that's the fun part. And with basketball, you know, I get the flexibility of we cover Walford, we cover Furman, we cover Clemson, uh, USC Upstate too, too, and some schools. So I've gotten to go to the NCAA tournament with Furman last year. I got to go down to Orlando. I got to go to the NCAA tournament. I think four of the five times Walford got to go. I got to go with them. When Clemson went out to San Diego, I got to go with them. So, you know, there's highs and lows. There's peaks and valleys. I've gotten to go to the College World Series several times. It's been a while. Um, but I went there to cover Clemson. I've gone there to cover South Carolina. I was there when they won their second national championship. So it's uh, – there, 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 I think I like the fact that there's the highs, there's the, you know, 18 hour days. And then, you know, there's times in the summer where I might work four hours, you know, it doesn't balance out. It doesn't equal 40 at the end of the day per week, but you know, you find places that you, you know, slow down a little bit and catch your breath and, you know, spend time with your family and that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I really thoroughly enjoy what I do. It's just kind of remarkable to me that, you know, we have we we both, you know, wear the same media passes or whatever. We we're, we're sitting five feet away from each other in a press conference, but yet you have these two different jobs that could not be more different, right? Like, you know, we we we're we're you know, with 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 your duties versus a writer. You know, there's just could not sure. be more different um, in the routines and the process and all that. You you've got to know a little bit more details. You've got to be able to go a lot more in depth on things than I do. Mine's kind of just surface level most of the time. And and you're one of the best there is uh, on the beat for breaking stories and having the contacts and the sources. And, you know, that requires time and effort. That requires a lot of work. And I'd sit from a distance and admire, you know, when you'll sit there and put out a note that, oh, I, well, I didn't realize that was, uh, I didn't know that, you know, Will Shipley wasn't practicing or Kate Klubnick wasn't practicing or this guy's going to be out this week. And, you know, so that, that I'm not as in tune with all that. Like you know, everybody's got different little roles and, and places that they do things. And I, I, you know, I respect what you do tremendously. I, I respect what, you know, what 
Phil Cornblue does. Phil Cornblue goes to, you know, games all the time. And, you know, everybody does it a little bit differently and everybody does it their own way. And I think that's what makes it um, entertaining. And I like to pick and, you know, find things from different people that I like. And same thing with TV people. It's like certain people are better at certain things. And, uh, you know, you kind of take a little bit from everybody and somewhere in there you find your style and your own way and that kind of thing. So that's, that's, uh, always been my my approach is that i don't ever look at oh i'm doing way more than that sure, person's doing. Sure. oh my goodness gracious you know but because there's 50 people that are doing you know way more than i'm doing and that's it, kind of always a hard way to look at it is because you're just never going to be satisfied with what you are or what the other person's doing and that kind of stuff you said with the coaches show y'all got it to where it takes what 15 minutes you said it might not even be that some days, but yeah, somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes. Dabo Sweeney um, does not, he's not known for his brevity. Um, <laughs> uh, he'll have nine minute opening statements that are longer than Nick Saban's and Kirby Smart's entire press conferences. Did you, did it take some training or just, or is it just a routine thing where he understands, hey, we got to keep, that answer's short when you're when you're talking about that long run by Maffa. He just, I guess, I guess he just totally he gets it because he's ready to get the hell out of there anyway, and so he's just he wants to get it done as quickly as possible, just as much as anybody. Well, it's driven by the highlights. Yeah. So he's looking at the highlights, and I, we've got a little formula. I've just kind of come up with a way. I think he's got the rhythm of how it works. Um, so let's say they have an 85-yard scoring drive. I'll show a 10-yard catch from Brenningstool, an 8-yard run from Maffa, a 15-yard pass to Bo Collins, and it's capped off with a 25-yard touchdown run by Will Shipley. And then the touchdown run is going to get a replay, and then we're moving on to the defense. On defense, Jeremiah Trotter comes up with a nice sack, and then – that forces him to punt. Clemson gets the ball back. Klubnik leads them, you know, 50 yards. They can't punch it in. So he's driven by the highlights. So if he starts to go on a tangent, which he does from time to time, the next highlight's already started. Yeah. So if he gets too far behind, and sometimes he'll skip a highlight because he's wants to make sure he gets that nugget in on Dominique Thomas, or he wants to make sure he gets that nugget in on, you know, Aiden Swanson or whoever it is, maybe doesn't get as much uh, time. He wanted to drop in the note this week on Kylan Griffin that he wasn't even expected to play because he saw that interception. And by the time he kind of gets the story going, the next highlights up. So he's got to move on to the next thing. Maybe, maybe they should do that with his press conference. Just have video in the back that kind of <laughs> drives the bus <laughs> and speeds it along. So the, the highlights are three and a half, four minutes. And if he wants to stay on the highlights, he's kind of got to finish up that thought, you know, within 10 to 15 seconds per thought. So we've like, like I said, the, the first year, I wasn't sure exactly how we were going to do it. If he was, if he wanted to see the highlights first and then play them through a second time, but it's always the first time he always does it on the first take. And it, it's amazing. It's just amazing. His ability to recall the game and take you into his headset at that moment and that play. And he remembers that play. I mean, yeah, I could get done with a game. And you could ask me about a specific play that, you know, didn't lead, didn't, wasn't a touchdown or wasn't an amazing play. And I might not remember what quarter it was in. I might not remember who did it. He remembers all that stuff. Yeah. Like his recall, and you know this, his recall is unbelievable. Just, and Pete Yannity is the same way. His, his recall of games and situations and plays and, you know, that's a skill I just, I, 
I don't have it like they have it. And, you know, that's what makes it makes it interesting, for, I think, for the viewers that Davos, you know, ability to just recall it and go and recall it and, 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 and add a little perspective. And, you know, maybe it was a and I include I did the Wofford show, coaches show many, many years ago and they really didn't want to show in the other team. Like they wanted, if Wofford won forty-five to nothing or forty-five to forty-two, they wanted to see all forty-five points for Wofford and none from the other team. And sometimes it was challenging when Wofford lost, you know, thirty-five to three. But for Clemson, he's never once commented on "Don't show that, don't show that, don't show this." And it's like, you know, I think if you're watching the coaches' show, you want to see what he says when Phil Moffa fumbles the football at the end of the game. You want to hear what he says when Klubnick throws the ball out to Adam Randall when it was supposed to be a handoff or Klubnick in Miami, you know. And, and, and so I put those plays in there because I want to hear what he says. And more often than not, he's like, you know, this was, this was the most frustrating part. This was the most frustrating part of the game. He's not supposed to keep that right there. He's supposed to hand that off. He knows that. So that was disappointing. So I, I try not to – I won't – if if Notre Dame goes on a fifteen play drive, I won't show you know seven plays. I'll show just the touchdown unless there's a play in there that's you know overwhelmingly interesting. Uh, so you know over the course of seven minutes of highlights, you might see four or five from the other team, but you'll also see a Klubnik interception. You'll also see a fumble because I think it's interesting. I think it's compelling. I, last week there was a play where Xavier Thomas batted down a ball. That if he didn't bat mm-hmm. down that ball, the guy, the receiver was open. Yep, that was going to be a touchdown. And I said, you know what? I normally wouldn't show a pass deflection in the highlights, but I know that was going to be a touchdown. Yeah. So I want to see if he says that. And he's like, that was a huge play. It was third down. Xt bats the ball down, and truth be told, if he didn't, that guy was taken to the end zone. And I was like, you know, his ability to to just remember the plays as they were happening is is fascinating. It's always been fascinating to me, and he's such a you know this. He's such an easy guy to cover, even when they lose, even when they don't win and he comes in there. He's not jumping around excited, but he's not grumpy and mean and snappy. He's never been that. He's all I mean, when they went up to Syracuse and lost several years ago, I was almost surprised how he came in there you know, with a positive attitude and, you know, we got what we deserve. This is what you know, you play like that, you're not going to win. And you know, It's just refreshing because I know there are coaches that if they had to come in and do a coach's show after a loss, a crushing loss, they might take it out on the people that are in that room. And he's never done that. He's always been respectful. And um, it's, I got a funny, let me share a funny story since I know we have the time to do it. So last year we're down there in Miami and whenever we go on the road, you know, I'm wearing two hats. I'm wearing, I work for channel seven. I've got to turn stories and content for channel seven and I do stuff for the coaches show on the game day and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a tricky hat to wear at times. But anyway, we're down there in Miami. It's for the, the Orange beach Bowl. day for the orange bowl. Yeah. It's beach day there. The players are out on the beach playing volleyball, jumping in the water. I'm getting video and our media window is over basically because I think we had like maybe an hour to get video and it's always those kind of things that I think it's cool to see players outside of helmets and shoulder pads and you know that they're real humans and are allowed to have fun and do stuff so you know I thought that was an important part of the story to tell when we went to the bowl game so I'm out there getting the video and then I go back sit down edit edit a couple stories I'm getting ready to do our live shot for channel seven and I was like well we might as well do it right here on the beach like why would we go somewhere else and 
do it when we can stand here on the beach and, you know, make all the people back in the upstate jealous that, you know, we're sitting in Miami and, uh, you know, 80 degree weather in January. But uh, so anyway, so we're sitting there getting ready to do our live shot. And they were at, I don't know if you went down there and went to where their team hotel was, but they were at a very, very fancy hotel. And they basically claimed that part of the beach. Like you couldn't just walk up and down that part of the beach. So we're standing there getting ready to do our live shot. We're probably 15 minutes away. And there's the hotel security comes up to me and he's like, uh, who told you you could be here? And I said, well, I said, we're with the team. We, we were part of the team function where they were out here today for beach day. And I've got, you know, a release that says that, you know, we were allowed to cover this. And he's like, did you, did you run it through the hotel security? I'm like, no, I was told through Clemson that, that we were fine to come out and, and show them at the beach. He's like, well, no one ran it by us. And I'm going to have, unless you've got something from somebody from Clemson to tell you that you're allowed to be here, then I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Jeez. I said, I've got this, I've got this letter. I've got this note that, that, that you know, from Ross Taylor that says that it's a media event. And he said, I, I, that's, it's got to be, a, I got to be able to talk to the person. Anybody, anybody could have gotten that email. I'm just like, okay. So I'm looking around for Ross Taylor. He's not out there. He's already left. All right. Well, maybe I can find Brian Hennessy. Nope. I'm looking around. Don't see Brian Hennessy either. I'm like, maybe I can see Jeff Callens. Jeff Callens around. Nope. Don't see Jeff Callens. So I'm walking. The security guards walk with me, basically getting ready to tell us that we got to leave. I'm walking along. I see Coach Sweeney. <laughs> I said, I looked at the, off the security guy. I said, would, would Davo Sweeney be sufficient? He said, yeah, that'd be fine. So I walk up to Coach Sweeney. I said, Coach, can you vouch for me that, you know, we're allowed to be here, that everything's fine, that we're not, like, spying on you or anything? He goes, oh, yeah. He says, he's he's with the coaches show. He's good. He's, he's one of us. He can stay. He can stay. That's <laughs> so great. I'm just trying to find somebody to vouch for me. And, you know, the only person that I see that would – recognize me enough to be able to vouch for me as coach sweetie and he's just he jumps in and says yeah yeah he's one of us so i was like thank you coach i appreciate that and then we did our live shots there we lived happily ever after so i always thought that was a funny story why in the world would a camera crew be on the beach shooting a stand-up for craps and giggles gosh that that's frustrating just the security guy taking himself way too seriously Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess at its core, he was protecting the players, you know, because they were still out there or whatever. But, you know, we, we were actually far enough away that they were in the background. We weren't we weren't, you know, in the middle of getting ready to get hit by a volleyball or anything. But I, I thought he was a little bit uh, overbearing, too. But, you know, what do I, what do, I do? I'm, I'm standing on his his property. So but it all worked out. It all worked out. What is it uh, like? No, it's no surprise to hear that Dabo doesn't take his frustration out on the people around him, you know, during the coach's show or whenever after a bad moment on the football field. But what has it been like watching him and being around him through some, I mean, these have been some devastating, deflating moments, a pretty high frequency of them this year, uh, moments that are kind of unexplainable in his mind and just a really, obviously a lot more trying events in the last several years than the time frame you referenced from 15 to 20 when everything seemed like, you know, it was easy and, and winning seemed like their birthright. Have you been able to get any kind of particular insight from that window into, or has it just been pretty much what you see everywhere else from him is what you see behind the scenes, even during some of those uh, more I mean, difficult you, you moments? See, you see some frustration at times, but I think it 
makes it for him, and this is just me from the outside observing, I think the fact that he's put down the resume that he's put down with a couple of national championships and six straight trips to the college football playoff, that there's no, you know, I mean, for many years, when you, when you and I first got here early on, you know, I think I, I got here in 2002. I think you got here about the same time. Um, you know, you have a, a year like this and, and people really start coming and saying, you know, is it time to is it time to move on? Is it time to find somebody else? Is it time to, you know, the game is passed about. He's got enough on his resume that I, I think he realizes that, you know, I'm above that. Certainly above that unless it happens you know, three or four years in a row. I mean, how, you know, how long is the is the leash? It's a lot longer for him than it is your average coach, and it certainly should be, and it certainly should be. So I think that I think that that's part of it, and I just think that he truly believes that what he's doing is right, what he's doing is tried and true, it's proven to work. But you you take away a Brent Venables from a coaching staff. And you take away a Jeff Scott from a coaching staff, and you take away a Tony Elliott from a coaching staff, and you do it all in a real short period of time, you don't think that's going to affect winning on the field? Come on. I mean, no disrespect to Wes, no disrespect to, you know, Garrett Riley or any of the other people. You know, you've dealt with Coach Venables, you've dealt with Coach Scott and Coach Elliott. Like, those guys, by the time they left this program, were elite. They were unbelievably talented at what they did. You don't think that when you lose those kind of people that it's going to affect winning? And you put that on top of maybe maybe every once in a while the five-star that you get doesn't play like a five-star. During that 15 to 20 window, they hit on just about all of them. You know, those those five-stars ended up playing like five-stars. And, and you're not going to have – just ask Alabama right now. You're not going to have – Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence in the span of seven years, both of them, you know, playing like they play and then just say, oh, DJ's the next five star. DJ's going to do the exact same thing. We thought that, but that didn't happen. So, I mean, I, I think with any program, you're going to have, you know, some of those peaks and valleys. But I, I think he just truly believes in his system, in his way. And I was very surprised last year when he made the change in offensive coordinator. I just it showed me something about Coach Sweeney that I wasn't sure was in there. Can he take a you know someone that's on his staff that's one of his guys, that's a Clemson guy, and move on from him? Because when you hire all your friends and you hire people that you know, it's easy to hire them. It's hard to say goodbye to those people. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if he was gonna be able to do that i don't know how what your perspective is on that but i was a little surprised by it because you know it, it's easy to say cj spiller's our running backs coach i love cj spiller cj spiller's one of the most impactful people in the history of the program like this guy is unbelievable you know what happens if three four five years from now it's time to reevaluate you know that, yeah. that's where it gets tough when you hire these people that you know and that are your friends or that you coached so you know that, that and, and we're kind of maybe in that window right now with some with some staff members because we've heard that there's going to be guys there's going to be some changes and you can do the math on if there's changes there's going to be guys that are clemson guys there's going to be guys that are you know his friends that he's got to make tough decisions on and you know that's that's where 
I know Tyler from Spartanburg called out how much money he makes on all this stuff. That's where he gets paid all that money to make those kinds of decisions because those are the tough decisions. And I, I wouldn't want to be in his situation in that at the end of this year when he's going to make a couple of tough calls. Yeah, to answer your question, I, I at the end of last year, I did not think uh, – I, I was skeptical that he would make a change. Um, and so, yes, I think that was a pretty large statement about where his priorities are in that like, – yeah, like you said, it's, it's – uh, it makes for a great story, a feel-good thing to have to, to hire your former players and all that, or or icons, Clemson icons in Brandon Streeter's case. But the fact that he made that decision after just one year of Streeter as OC, it tells you that ultimately, you know, Dabo's culture is about love and family and all that stuff. But in his mind, that message that came from that, and that I think still applies today, is. Um, it's a big boy business and this is about production and he still has to make decisions that are in the best interest of the program. Um, and so ultimately, ultimately I think he's still, uh, he's a cutthroat competitor. And so I think that's where things sort of stand now as we go back to last week, which was, had to be one of the toughest weeks inside that building in the history of Dabo Sweeney's tenure, because it was, uh, it was it was nuclear from from everything we yeah. heard, not just toward the coaches, but to the players. Basically saying, uh, "Y'all got twenty four days to to prove that y'all deserve your jobs or your spots." And so that's different. That's not what you're normally uh, what you're accustomed to hearing from him. So it should be a uh, really interesting postseason. Um, I mean, so many things have changed too with. How prevalent, and you've heard this, how prevalent the transfer portal is, how NIL has come in and changed the way recruiting takes place. Like from when he was doing this from 15 to 20, the formula's changed. It's a different game now. I mean, you can't use the formula that you used back then to have the success right now. And I think he's learning that more slowly than most. He's a little stubborn in the way that he believes in his system and his routines and all that stuff. But the reality is if you truly don't use the portal and don't embrace the parts of NIL that are out there, you're not going to get the players that you need to win. I mean, this year's team is void of that playmaker on the outside. There's no T. Higgins or Justin Ross or DeAndre Hopkins or Sammy Watkins or Mike Williams or I mean there's not that guy on this team so you know where do you find that guy you've got to find I mean you'd love for it to to be Bo Collins he thought it might have been Joseph Ngata that didn't happen and you know Frank Ladson and you know they've missed on a couple guys over the years that you know it, it seems easy when every year you've got you know two or three wide receivers like they've had my goodness you look at that window you know, from 15 to 20, some of those receivers that he had, my goodness gracious, they'd love to have any one of those. And I, I think that's part of it. You just don't see the explosiveness that they used to have. And he's he sees that too. He knows that. And, and it's a little tricky when your quarterback play isn't – when DJ's a five-star, but he's not Trevor. When, you know, Clubbeck's a five-star, but he's not Trevor or Deshaun. You know, it's like all that stuff – 
I think people took for granted, and and I know I did when when it was happening, and every guy that was supposed to produce produced. I mean, you remember what that was like. It was like, wow, it was just a you know insert player, yep. make big play, insert player, make big play. It's it's not that easy. I mean, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think Dabo's figured out something that nobody in the history of college footballs you know been able to master. You're going to have some some ups and downs. Well, you mentioned Alabama. And some of the lessons they are also uh, learning right now in the, you know, the last two years, or last year mainly, 2022, uh, their offensive line wasn't very good that year, and they were in a lot of close games. I forgot how many games they won. I guess 10, 11. Anyway, Bryce Young was Superman. He bailed them out of so many uh, situations to where if you don't have him, uh, they might have finished eight and four last year, you know, and been going through a lot of the some of the similar turmoil or um, sort of reality checks. I think the Clemson folks have been going through. So it's a it, yeah, having an elite presence at, at at quarterback and receiver certainly helps. And I mean, Travis Etienne. I don't think I don't know that people appreciated nope. how unbelievably talented nope. that guy was. I mean, he was. I mean, look at him now. I mean. He was, and he kind of burst onto the scene. Maybe a little bit. People were a little surprised at how good he was. And here comes Bill Shipley. He's a five star, and he's just different. He's not Travis Etienne. He's he's you know supposed to be the fastest guy on the team, but for some reason that speed doesn't translate to game day the way we thought it was going to translate. Very likable kid. Seems like a great guy, and he's facing some adversity. And you know it's it's interesting. I, I don't. You, said you didn't go into the locker room uh, on a normal basis. But last week we were talking with Xavier Thomas, and he's like, yeah, it was a tough week. Like everybody everybody was was feeling the brunt of it down to the guy that's cutting the grass, you know, and, and, and they know that, that they got to perform. And what happens, and I don't know the answer to this, but what happens with this NIL stuff? You're paying, somebody's paying these guys X amount of dollars, and they're expecting X amount of performance. I mean, Dr. Pepper last year with DJ. Do you remember that in the beginning of the season? Yeah. And they were that was their guy. And about three weeks into the season, Dr. Pepper stopped running those commercials. <laughs> yes. It's 21. Like, that, was, uh, that was 21. Two, two years ago. I'm yep. sorry, two years yep. ago. Yeah, yeah. Two years ago. So it's like, you know, you just it's – a, it's a slippery slope, man. You're going to have people that are putting money into these guys. They're not a sure thing. NFL players aren't a sure thing. So you come back a tier, you think it's a it's a sure thing at the college level? No way. So, you know, you got guys that are getting paid now significant amounts of money and they're not performing and okay, now they're not even starting and they've got to deal with so and so company and now they're not even seeing the field. It's just man, I wouldn't want to be a part of that. I wouldn't want to be a coach on and it has to deal with that stuff. Also, as we talk about how Dabo views roster management, you know, and his commitment to players, you know, you wonder, um, you know, because for the longest time, his model was built on, it has been built on, all right, when, when I make an offer, you know, a scholarship offer, that is a marriage. It's, it's till graduation do we part, right? So Correct. my obligation to you um, is, 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 through the whole person, not just the football player. So if you, you know, if you don't perform, you know, if, if you don't meet expectations, then that's on us. That's on the coaches. We yeah. messed up, yeah. that up, but we still honor that sort of contract. Um, 
th- through the duration of your eligibility to help you get, you know, to help you graduate and become better as a man and all that stuff. But I do wonder, and this is not based on any any information. This is just totally speculative. Um, but maybe he recalibrates his his side of the contract or agreement if, in general, the player's side of it has changed in recent years as we've gotten into NIL, as we've gotten into, oh, well, if I'm not playing, I might leave. Or, um, yeah, I'm going to opt out of this bowl game since it's not the playoff. Or, yeah, yeah, I hurt my toe and I probably could play, but I'm probably just going to – I'm probably just going to uh, hang it up for the rest of the year, that type of thing. And not to say that sure. Clemson has a bunch of those guys, but I do think they it's – They seem to have way fewer than most correct, other programs. Correct. But I do think it's worth, you know, talking about, you know, like as as Dabo lays down the law last week with not just his coaches but his players, um, you know, basically saying some of y'all ain't going to be around here next year. <laughs> it's like yeah. that's – Well, I mean, I think to some degree maybe – you don't hear about it as much, but there's probably been players over the years that have been encouraged to look elsewhere. Right. You know, it's like, I'm not going to make it a big media thing. I'm not going to put it out there. So everybody knows, but you're third on the depth chart, you know, fifth on the depth chart, eighth on the depth chart. If you want to play, it might be in your best interest to go somewhere else and see if you can find some playing time. You know, say it in a positive way. I, you know, that's going to happen, but, for the guys that are talented, that are higher up on the depth chart, look at the list of guys that have left Clemson, going to transfer and playing somewhere else. There hasn't been a lot. There haven't right. been very many that have left Clemson and gone to have success elsewhere. So yep. Dabo knows that. He uses that. He sees that. It's like, you want to show the list of guys that have left here thinking that they were going to find greener pastures elsewhere? I've got that list. Here's the last 25 guys that are transferred. How many of those guys are playing on Sundays right now? Nope, not that one. Nope, not that one. Nope, 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 all the way down the list. So he's got that, you know, saying, you may think it's greener pastures, but the truth is maybe it's on you to get better. Maybe it's on us to get you better. Maybe we can figure this out, you know, whereas there's certainly been the list of guys that have left Ohio State that have gone to other programs and had success is a little longer. Upstate foodies. Want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else folks and don't forget about the cocktails super fresh margaritas ice cold cerveza and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar so don't wait folks your willie taco familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion it's the willie way another loyal supporter of the dubcast is blackacre law firm in greenville a subsidiary of parm smith and Archenthold. blackacre helps south carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings attention to detail is crucial in real 
real estate law, Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Todd, some folks listening might not really have a good idea of sort of, okay, he works for WSPA, but he also does the Clemson Coaches Show. Let's talk about that arrangement. Um, I guess is, is the best way to put it basically like WSPA is the contracted um, uh, partner with Clemson to produce the Coaches Show, and, and, and is, that, is that pretty much what it is? It is, yeah. I mean, there was a they, about seven years ago they reached an agreement. Our corporate people, not way beyond me or Pete or mm-hmm. my news director or my general manager, you know, decided that that was uh, financially something they wanted to commit to. So they made a financial commitment to be the you know carrier of the coaches show. And part of that was we were able to distribute it to other next star affiliates. So our coaches show that we put together that it's just people, you know, at channel seven put together. It airs for our next star station in Myrtle beach. It airs at our next star station in Charleston. It airs on next star station in Augusta. I think it airs in Charlotte. That wasn't initially the case, but I think it does now. Um, we have an agreement. It airs in Columbia on a non next star station. And so we were able to, it's not just a channel seven game for next star. They see it as almost like a Southeast because, we own a bunch of, I think we own you know, over a hundred TV stations. So they, the ones that would have interest in Clemson, we air it and it airs for us. Interestingly, Monday nights at seven 30 on channel seven, other stations air it at different times. So we have to have the coaches show done and ready to go with closed captioning and the whole process, I think by 8 AM on Sunday morning. So you do the math on an 8 PM kick game. Jeez. You're going to have the whole show done and sent away you know, by I think Pete's leaving no later than four ish on on a Sunday morning. You know, even if it's a night game, um, so that that is part of that process that it airs in a bunch of different places. I think the first place it airs is maybe at ten or eleven in Columbia in the morning on Saturdays. We're the only ones that air on Monday, and every once in a while we'll have to make an adjustment before the Monday show because we said something about this player and this player is now out for the year or, you know, but most of the time it just airs the way it is, but yeah, it's a, it's an agreement. Um, and it's kind of, I think it's kind of evolved over time as to exactly how it works. But, uh, on the very front end of it each year, we get Dabo one-on-one for, I think it's about an hour and a half or two hours is what it ends up being. And Pete sits down with them. And we knock out 12 feature stories. And each year it's based on something different. I think they've done, you know, sit down, Dabo. All right, let's talk about your coaches. Start with Jeff Scott. Okay, now let's go to CJ Spiller. Okay, now let's go to 
Tyler Grisham, and and each one is its own feature story in the during the year. You know, we we, we do it in August, but the one on you know Nick Eason may not run until November. You know, so that that's part of the agreement. We we get an exclusive sit down interview with him on the front end one time for a couple hours. So you gotta, you know, Pete's gotta be prepared on that day because we can't go back and say, oh, we forgot to ask you about. Yeah. So he's got to be prepared. And um, I think we did, we looked back at various key points in the championship years. He did one year. Um, maybe he did that his first year. Anyway, he comes up with a theme each year and, and asks them about that. And then the other place that we get uh, an exclusive is we get one player a week for our player feature. And John Burton is the one who does that where he'll sit down and talk with, whoever the player is, a lot of times it's somebody that's coming to the media gathering on Tuesday. Every once in a while, it's a Monday. And it's somebody that, you know, when they get done talking with the the media in the new room that they have, they'll go and meet with John in a different room. And then they'll put that into a, into a feature story on, you know, Will Putnam or Jeremiah Trotter or whoever it is. So those are the two places that we get, and we get down to at the end of the game. And that's really it. I think sometimes people think that, you know, there's there's an agreement where we get, you know, breaking news kind of things, or they tell us things that they don't tell other people, and that's that's not that's not it at all. That's not part of the arrangement at all. It's just, uh, you know, the couple little places that you know basically are are paid for to a degree, I and mean, it's not necessarily exactly like that. But but that way, the coaches show offers some exclusive content that you not. That, that you don't get, that everybody doesn't get access to. Now, it does not include we get to go out to practice differently than you do. We get to go get shots. Like you watch the Georgia Coach Show, it's put together by people that work at Georgia, and they have like eight, ten guys out on the practice field mm. putting microphones on Kirby Smart, putting microphones on you know other coaches and getting all this. It's like that is not our our our, our arrangement does not include that. Which you know I don't work for Clemson. You know I'm basically kind of you know, freelanced in there, I guess would be, would be a better, it's not really like that, but it's, it's, I don't, I'm not inside their umbrella when it comes to access. So seven years ago when the uh, arrangement was first uh, announced or reached, was the reaction from you and Pete like, oh man, this is going to be great. Or was it, oh, this is going to be a lot more work. Like what, I'm just curious what the. I mean, I, I think it was. Pete's, uh, you've talked to Pete before. His mentality is tell him what the task is and he'll make it happen. Nobody works harder than that guy. Like Mm -hmm. you can just keep piling stuff on him and he keeps, you know, saying, okay, we'll make it work. Okay, we'll make it work. Okay, we'll make it work. It really just kind of morphed into, all right, now how are we going to make this work? Let's figure this out. And, you know, the first year, the way we did it was a little differently than the second year. It was a little differently than the third year. And now we've got it down pretty good. Like we all know we all know our roles and our, like John does a lot of the graphics that goes into the, the show. And I, I do my main thing is that Saturday, my Saturday is really, really packed with stuff. Um, and then Pete kind of puts it together throughout the week. He'll sit back there and, and put parts of it together. And then on Saturday kind of makes it into the, the final product and, and, you know, make sure it times out the way it's supposed to time out and make sure that, you know, all the segments are, are the way they're supposed to be. And, you know, sometimes there's a little, you know, trickiness and maybe the highlights of a game goes over time. The highlights are a little longer than you thought. So you got to take that out of somewhere else and that kind of stuff. But, uh, 
I think we've got it down to a pretty good science now. I really do. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good team effort, especially when you watch it and you realize that there's probably not as many hands on it as you think there are. And at Georgia, there's probably 30 people involved in it. For us, that number may be three or four. You know, it's not a lot of people. It's, you know, the ones that do it do a lot of heavy lifting. But um, we all kind of know what our our roles are in the process. And at this point, we've got it down where, I mean, I, I don't know how we could be more efficient. If, if, if they said, you got to be more efficient, you know, somewhere along the way, I'm not sure where that would be. But So you said for – some of the road games, I guess the lengthy trips, you'll fly with the team. You already said that you've almost gotten left <laughs> as they're uh, hopping on the buses. And you said that Pete doesn't finish until around 4 a.m. For, for the night, for, for an 8 o'clock. For an 8 o'clock game. All right. So yeah. can you put us in your shoes uh, after the after the recent Miami game? Uh, it's overtime game. And so you're on the team plane, like when when you finish up shooting or whatever for the coaches show, your work's only beginning. So on the plane, you're sitting there editing like the whole way back. No, not on the plane, on the bus for sure. Okay. Uh, I know when we were at Notre Dame last year, I hit send on my last file as I was standing up to get on off the bus and into the TSA line because once you're on the plane. You know, I don't. I can't send stuff from you know thirty thousand feet sure. or whatever it is. So I've got to have it done by then. Um, so yeah, on the bus a lot of times on, in Miami, we were uh, John was editing his stuff and I was editing my stuff and Pete was back at the station, you know, doing his stuff and it was kind of a all hands on deck. And when when the bus stopped and we got off, I looked at John and I said, John, are you done? He's like, finished about thirty seconds ago. Wow, I finished about three minutes ago. You know, and the Miami trip was a little different. There were two planes, so we were on more of a staff plane. But in the early first four years, we were on the same plane as the players. I remember the first couple of years, one year I was sitting between John Simpson and another <laughs> offensive lineman, and I squeezed in the middle, and I'm like, my goodness gracious, I knew they were big. <laughs> you know, you're sitting in these planes, sandwiched between these two guys. And, uh, and then – I think years three and four, they moved us separate from the players, which was probably the way to go. We didn't need to be sitting next to the players after a game. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. My favorite part of the whole process is the efficiency with which it operates. When we kind of could take you inside a little bit, we leave from Greenville and we go, we don't have to go through the regular line. We go out on the tarmac and they check us and we get, you know, scanned and all that stuff. And then we get on the plane and we fly. Let's say we're going to Syracuse and we land in Syracuse and we get a police escort to the hotel. Mm-hmm. So we don't stop at stoplights. We don't stop along, you know, to merge onto the interstate police officers, get us there as quickly as we can get there. And then on game day, same thing. The bus gets a police escort there. But when the game's over, you get a police escort to the airport and they start scanning people and, and and you're on the plane probably two hours after the game's over you're on the plane and you're back home by you know depending on how long the flight is i mean in miami i think i was home by five mm-hmm. i think we're back home you know so it was just you know you're you're kind of it's a long day i mean the, the, the saturday is really long but it is it is nice to be home sunday 
morning, you know, four o'clock, four thirty, or whatever it is. Um, and like, like I said, when we go to Duke or one of like to Duke on Monday this year was we drove there and drove back. That was a long day because, you know, we didn't spend the night. We just, you know, but I'm sitting there with John and he's working on the way back and then he gets done with he what he needs to get done. Then I'm, I'm like, all right, you drive down, then I'll get done because whatever I shoot. I always file about 20 minutes, 25 minutes worth of video for us, for Channel 7, or for the coaches show, to be honest with you. That way, we have file video of anybody that did anything in the game, even stuff that doesn't air on the coaches show. We have a file of video that I, I spend two hours doing every Sunday, and then I write down every player that's on that list. So, you know, we need a shot of an offensive lineman. Well, I'm, during a game, I'm not going to get many shots of the offensive line, but in pregame or, you know, various different points, I'll have shots of every single offensive lineman. So if this guy's hurt or if we end up doing a feature on Colin Sadler or if we end up doing a feature on whoever it is, we have video of all these guys and we have access to it because of the file that's done Sunday either when we're driving back or flying back or that's usually the window when I'll try to knock that out. Cause you know, I try not to have a lot of time where I'm just kind of sitting there doing nothing, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's evolved over the, over time, but I think we've got it down to where we all kind of know what we're doing and we all respect um, what we're doing and that kind of thing. And I, and I can't use access, um, like if if I if I'm on the plane and I notice so and so was hurt, yep. I, I can't I can't report that. Like that's you know that that's that's a window where I'm not allowed to use that access to say, well, I noticed on the plane so and so was in a <laughs> sources and, according to my yeah, sources <laughs> so, because it'd be like wonder where you so yeah so I, I've got to know when where that and now if I'm in a place where they're getting off the bus and walking into the stadium. And I see you, or I see, you know, nope. Paul, or I see other people getting shots and video. Then that's fair access, and I, then I can whatever my eyes see at that point, everybody else can see too. So you know, it's kind of a, a little bit tricky in that sense that um, you know you got to know where you are and, and and what's to be seen and what's not to be seen. Not that there's that many situations like that. There really isn't. I mean, there really aren't that many times where that comes into play at all. What when something crazy happens like uh, well you meant like the Tyler from Spartanburg thing and uh, as a newscast like how do you handle that do you say Debo Sweeney fired back at a caller named Tyler from Spart I mean <laughs> I just I'm just curious how you would tack how y'all tackled that um, I mean you just I've always felt like if you just state what happened and leave out opinion, mm -hmm. you're going to be fine. I, I've i never, for my role, for what I do, opinion is not a part of it. It's just not. It, it's, it, I don't, I don't leave that. I don't, I don't want to go down that path. I don't even, a lot of times on the newscast, sometimes people are like, well, who do you think is going to win the game? And it's like, well, that's even tricky because then you're going to get people who are going to get mad at you for this, that, and the other. So it's like very, very, few times do I even say I think Clemson's going to win this game by three touchdowns because I just feel like my role is to just report what's there you know what's happening and, and that, I think that's part of the broadcaster 
in me and, and, and not the social media person because you go on social media and everybody's got an opinion. Yep. And, 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 and you too. I mean, you, you go on there uh, from time to time and, and offer opinion. That's what you're supposed to do. I, I think for us, it's just easier to more often than not. And if you watch Pete, Pete doesn't put opinion on there. Like you, you could watch him every every sports cast for the next six months. You might not see two times where he offers an opinion on there. So that that that's how I avoid. Uh, you know, Tyler from Spartanburg said this, and you be you might be surprised how Dabo responded. Mm-hmm. Take a listen. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 kind of style of, of doing it. Do you do prep games uh, regularly Friday nights? Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's honestly, I really enjoy it. That that's what I spend most of my week doing. Um, I'll go out on a Monday. We'll figure out what our game of the week is going to be, and I'll go out to like for example, this week it's Broom against Clinton. Last week it was Burns against Dorman, and I'll go to both sites and I will talk to coach and a key player, coach and a key player from each, and then I'll put together three stories that will run on Friday nights previewing that game. And usually one of them is going to be a feature story on whoever the best player in the game is. And because uh, high school kids don't get the – not everybody knows that the running back at Burns is a freshman who's also an elite soccer player who travels around the country playing soccer. Not everybody knows that you know the best player on Broome is a sophomore who's already got 10 Division One offers and, you know – is you know driven by you know wanting to be great you know and that's well, that's what the story is going to be this week and you know and and talking to the high school kids and giving them some attention and I, I, yeah I, I always get there that Friday night I'll stay at that game and I'll do uh, you know five or six different content pieces from that game a a game recap a you know a VO of the game for Pete and an interview with the coach and usually there's a play of the night that comes from that game and. Um, that kind of stuff. So that's the other reason why the games where Clemson plays within driving distance, within you know the North Carolinas, Georgias, um, probably maybe even Virginias, that we would just cover Friday night football and then drive uh, the morning of the game to go cover the game. So he he doesn't want to lose because if he, if John and I both go to Syracuse that Friday night, he loses both of us. So. John will shoot two or three games on a Friday night. I'll shoot one, and he'll he'll end up not having those uh, us as resources to go gather that stuff. So he he really wants us to be there as many Friday nights as possible. I think this year I've been I've covered a game every Friday night except for two. Miami, we had to go with the team, and Syracuse. I think we went with the team. So yeah, I, I, I do a lot of prep stuff. I assume you're planning on covering the state cross country championships tomorrow morning in Newberry, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, over the years, I've covered everything. My gosh, I've covered, I've covered, uh, you know, some track and field. I've covered um, softball, baseball, soccer, girls soccer, um, and, and you know, unique things. I, I worked in Knoxville for a couple of years, and we would do like very creative, unique challenges that our sports back then I was mainly a photographer um, now I wear all the different hats but we would go and do stories on somebody that was great at archery someone that was we did catfish grabbing one time we've you know I did um, just so many different unique 
stories over the years that you'd be hard you'd be hard pressed to come up with something that I haven't had a camera at and covered and you know told the, told their story of. Well, the cross country championships are a big story to me. I'm biased. Uh, to, there, there, there are two uh, there are two Williams sisters running for Daniel High School. Very nice. So, yeah. Very nice. Um, maybe we could do something on the uh, on your band too. Yeah. What is it like? I think when when we're when you're doing interviews, particularly with high school kids, I would think it's not easy. I mean, it's it's not easy in general interviewing you know a lot of high school kids because they've never experienced it. But when you turn that camera on, like I know if you put a camera in my face, I'm middle aged, I'd probably get a little nervous. So how do you? Uh, how do you maybe try to make that easier on people, on, on kids? Like, hey, is this okay? We're just going to ask you a couple of questions. I mean, I'm sure you can identify yeah. with that on sort of the intimidation I'm, factor that comes yeah. with that. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you're you're as good an interviewer as there is. Um, so and there's just things you learn over the years. And I, one thing I prefer, if it's not overly windy, I'll put the little microphone that you just clip on them. It's called a lavalier microphone. It's the one, you know, that you just yep. kind of put on your lapel or put on your, you know, not the big giant stick microphone that you stick in their face and they immediately take a half a step backward because they're, you know, scared of it. Yep. That's one way to kind of make them feel more comfortable. Usually before we even turn the camera on, there's a 45 second to a minute chat to make them feel comfortable. Hey, you know, we're just going to talk about football stuff. Not going to ask you anything about your physics class or your math class, or, you know, we're just talking about stuff, you know, that you're comfortable with. Um, and, and, you know, you, you, you get all levels. I've, I've done some high school interviews this year with kids that I was blown away. I was like, man, you are really good at this. And, you know, the kid, I was a kid at jail, man, uh, that I did an interview with. And I, I got done. I was like, like, this is the best interview I've done all year. Like you were great. And then I've done a couple where the kid was not comfortable or he was a little awkward and didn't like doing it as much. And, you know, you just try to, some, I mean, you, sometimes you ask a question and you don't get the answer that you want, but you realize that that's a, a focal point of your story. So you've got to, you know, maybe wait a couple more questions and then re-ask the question a little bit differently and hope that you get a little bit better answer. And if after two or three attempts at that, then maybe you have to go to the coach and say, you know, get the coach's spin on that angle because the player just didn't give you exactly what you wanted. And the coaches, they've done it enough. They're all just about all of them are really comfortable on camera, but you're right. You talk to 15 and 16 year old kids and they're not all, um, you know, comfortable on camera. But like, like I said, I try to just be as relatable with them as I can share stories that, you know, I did a story on a couple of Burns kids last year. I covered their dad. That tells you how mm-hmm. old I am for one thing. But, um, so I just kind of related that, you know, when I remember covering your dad, when he was here and, you know, and, and just kind of, it, I, I enjoy that. I really do uh, enjoy trying to come up with interesting angles to 15, 16 year old kids because, you know, you put that out on social media and, and a lot of times it's the first time that people get introduced to these kids and see them. And, you know, it, 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 it kind of is a neat way. Like, and just about more, more often than not, you get done with the interview, they'll want to know when it's going to, when it's going to run, when can they see it? Whereas, you deal with clubs and kids or uh, coaches or, you know, even when you get to the professional level, they don't care. They don't care when the story is going to run. They've done, you know, 20 interviews in the last month. But high school kids and their moms and their dads, you know, they're fascinated about being on television. They really think it's cool because people are going to see them and see their story. And, you know, and I'll get a lot of times people will, you know, tell me after the fact, uh, 
one of the cool stories, and this is a kid that his name has probably come up in your circles of, you know, you and Paul with the recruiting and all that stuff. But uh, there's a quarterback at Westside High School. His name's Cutter Woods. He's really good. He's got a dozen Division One offers. He's a junior quarterback, and he's got three ACC offers, I think. But he's a really talented kid. So I was, I talked to the coach first, and I've known the coach for 20 years. And I said, just tell me something about Cutter that's different. Like, I mean, I know on Friday nights – I've seen him play like, yeah, he's an elite player, but like, is there anything that's, that, that, you know, makes him stand out? He goes, absolutely. He goes, this kid is one of a kind. He's such an amazing leader. He said, here's an example. Every Sunday morning, he goes out and he rents a van and 14, 15 seat van goes and picks up some of his teammates and takes them to church and brings them back and does it every Sunday. He goes and rents a van and goes wow. and picks up his teammates and Jeez. takes them. And I, so I asked him about that. He goes, yeah, it's, it's really kind of taken off. I've actually got to make two trips now because so many kids want to go. I'm like, wow. Like, that's unbelievable. That like, I've never, I've never heard of that. A kid that's – I said, when I was 15 years old, I wasn't doing <laughs> things like – or six, I guess he's 16. I wasn't doing things like that. You know, and it's neat when you find an interesting angle. And I tell – we have interns all the time that come in and they want to know stories about different things. And, and, and this is – people that do what we do for a living, there's, there's, there's a reason that you're good at it and, and, and experience matters in this stuff. We were interviewing a kid one time when I was in Bristol. This was 23 years ago probably. And we used to do a player of the week every week. And I'd do it one week and the other guy would do it one week and I'd do it one week and we'd rotate we were out, and, and it's so formulaic in a lot of ways. So and so threw for 450 yards and six touchdowns, and da, 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 you know, and you just kind of throw the numbers out there because that's why he's the player of the week because he had a great game and all that stuff. And we were interviewing the the, the coach, and he said, uh, "Oh, this kid's a, he's an amazing kid. I mean, he, he to see what he is able to do on the football field, the fact that he can only see out of one eye, but he's able to process all the information, oh, wow. and he's able to get the ball to his teammates, and he's you know able to just you know lead our team down the field. And we get done with the interview, and the guy that was doing the story, he's like, "All right, coach, thanks, I appreciate that." <laughs> and I said, "I said, did you catch the part where he's blind in one eye?" Yes. He said, "Oh no, no, did he say that?" I said, "Yeah." He's blind in one eye and he's playing quarterback. Like that now is our story. Our story is not he threw for 450 yes. yards and five touchdowns. And sometimes, and you probably have been guilty of this. I know I've been guilty of this. When you're interviewing people, you're so caught up on what your next question's going to be that maybe you're not listening to their answer as well as you should be. But a lot of times you're going to get a different story than what you thought you were going to get when you started. And I was like, we've got to re-interview the player. We've got to go back, and now our story has changed. He's like, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> like, we've got, we, this could be an Emmy Award-winning story if it's done right. Like, let's figure this out. You know, and, and same thing, you know, when I do high school interviews, when the coach said that the kid goes out and picks up people at church, when, you know, a kid tells me that, you know, he's just kind of, kind of dropping something in there, and he's like, "Yeah, I didn't start playing football till you know I was in eighth grade." And it's like, "Oh, wow, that's interesting." You know, you, you know how it is. You're, just, you're always trying to find something that makes your story interesting. And, and my favorite 
thing to do with my job is tell stories about people. Mm-hmm. Tell stories about people. Not not stats and numbers because I think people get tired of that. And, and I'm not – a lot of my stories include stats and numbers. I'm not saying that that's not a way to go too. But if you can find ways to tell stories about people and make them relatable, I think that's – I think that's the ultimate goal. And, and the stories, you know, that you do on your podcast, you know, when you get to the human aspect, I, I, I love the Brett, the Brent Venables interview you did. Oh, thank you. Not, not because he was telling me about, you know, his defensive philosophies and, and all that stuff. But when he got into the personal stuff about his family and how he got to where he is. And I mean, I, I was like hooked. Like I was on the treadmill running and like the next thing I know, I'm running 45 minutes. I'm like, Holy cow, this is great. Because, because it's a story about a person yeah. and his background. And you think, Oh, he makes $2 million a year. He's, you know, he's had it easy. My gosh, that guy has not had it easy. Dabo, Dabo's story has not been easy. You know, uh, you know, you, you detail that in, in your books and all that stuff. And it's like, when when you can break it down and get underneath the umbrella of stats and numbers and get to the people, I think that's I think that's the part that I like the best of anything that I do. Tell me how much you enjoyed uh, going and watching uh, covering Jeff Scott coach youth soccer a couple months ago. <laughs> that is my favorite story of the entire year. I mean, it, it, one of my top five or six stories that I've ever done. It's just because you're seeing somebody that you've known for 15 years, maybe 20 years. I mean, I was covering him when he was a player. Uh, and you're seeing him in a totally different, uncomfortable light. For those that don't know, he was coaching his son's three- and four-year-old soccer team. And he is so out of his element. Yes, he's one of the greatest coaches that Clemson's had come through there. He's so detail-oriented. He's so calculated in everything that he does. He brings notes with him to press conferences. He makes sure he points out every little detail. And then you get a three-year-old that does whatever the (laughs) heck he wants to do and runs wherever he wants to run. And his son, Hunter, was as guilty of it as anybody. Hunter, Hunter, we're playing over here, buddy. Stop picking flowers. Stop picking. <laughs> stop talking to the girls over here. Go kick the ball. No, no, kick the ball the other way. We want to go to that goal, not that goal. And just you know, we put a microphone on him, and he he was good at it. He was he he understood the microphone was on him, and he was accommodating. And uh, just to see to see him struggle in a way to communicate with three and four year olds. I mean. My wife taught kindergarten for a while. I've heard these stories over the years. And, you know, to sit there and see him, you know, have humor with it. And, and for me, I coached my sons. Uh, I was an assistant coach on his little, little league baseball teams. And I helped him. I coached his flag football teams. And, you know, you sit there and you tell the kids to do this. And then they go do something totally different. It's like you were supposed <laughs> to go 10 yards and go out. And you kept on running, you know. And and just when we were all done. And I left this out of the story that uh, – I put on TV, but uh, his son was just all, he's three years old. I mean, you know, he's three years old at the end of the day. He's going to do what he wants to do, but he gets done and he goes up to his dad and he says, dad, can, uh, can I get some popcorn? Can I have some popcorn? He's like, yes, Hunter, you can have some popcorn and a drink. And he goes, not that you did anything to deserve either one. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, he was just frustrated and exhausted. That you know, he's so good at getting his receivers to run routes exactly the way they're supposed to, and and he gets to the three-year-old, four-year-old kids, and they're doing whatever the heck they want to do. And uh, hopefully, that came across in the telling of the story. I, I put a version out on uh, for the news that I normally would do, and I think I was having a conversation with you, and you said you need to put a raw kind of un, a full version out. And I, and I, I credit you for that because I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to put a a deep cuts version on the website as well, just so, cause I had you know, my stories on TV have to be between a minute and 15 and a minute and 45, probably that's usually our, our window. So imagine telling a story you've got, you know, unlimited space on the internet to tell an unbelievably detailed story. Most of mine aren't like that, but I said, you know, I'm going to take all these clips of all these things that I have from him. And, and it, I think it ended up being almost five minutes long, which is all the different various clips that uh went on there so yeah that was that was fun that was that was a really really fun story to tell and put together the funniest snippet to me was when he threw the ball from the inline to sort of midfield and it bangs off a bounces off of one kid's head and then rolls directly (laughs) into the goal on the other side (laughs) they had not scored a goal the whole game and i don't think they'd had a shot on goal in the whole game and jeff realizes that the other team probably had a few more Keep in mind, none of these are great three- and four-year-old soccer players that, like, dominate. But the other team had a couple kids that were able to move the ball and get down in the direction of the goal. I think they had scored a couple goals. So he's kind of the middle guy on the field, like, you know, coaching from the field. And he's trying to, whenever he throws the ball, trying to steer it a little bit in the direction of his team, trying to help his team get going in the right direction. And he threw the ball from one end of the field hit his player on top of his head at midfield, <laughs> followed off his head and into the goal. He couldn't have done that again. And I said, Coach, yes. Coach, I'm going to give you a 500 throw. See if you can repeat that. There's no way he could repeat it. It hits the guy's, the kid's head, rolls into the goal. He goes, you're the first person to ever have a header goal in the history of three- and four-year-old soccer because – Three and four year olds can't kick the ball yes. up into the air, so he's probably true. <laughs> yeah, he's probably telling the truth. And uh, it was so fascinating. And he comes, he comes over to me. He's like, "Did you get that?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, that was the <laughs> highlight of the whole thing." How you threw it? Yeah, you know, just threw it off his head. Yeah, it was. Uh, there, there were just so many different little things along the way that it, you know you can relate if you've ever. Had, I mean, you've had kids and they were small at one point. You can relate to the struggles. And uh, I just I enjoyed I enjoyed seeing him. Uh, first of all, spend time with his with his kid in, in that role because you know he probably during football season when he was a coach was working eighty hours a week, ninety hours a week, you know. And I think you you got that sense that don't feel sorry for me because I'm not coaching right now. I'm you know enjoying this time with my kid, with my family, and you know sometimes that's and, and he said that it's it's a nice reset. It's a nice catch your breath, you know, kind of put it all in perspective kind of thing that, you know, if you told me I had a chance to, to do that when my kids were three and four, I probably would say I'd absolutely love it. Todd, this has been awesome, man. I cannot thank you enough for your time. No problem. I, I look forward to doing it. And, uh, I just now looked and we've been doing it for an hour and 20 minutes. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how you know it's a good conversation. I haven't even paid attention. But I enjoy it too, Larry. And I, you, I really appreciate what you do. You do a, you do a great job and uh, you are certainly as respected as there is on the beat. And uh, my goal and 
doing what we do is to kind of, you know, earn the respect of the colleagues that I work alongside and the people that I work alongside. And uh, I certainly respect everything that uh, that you do. The feeling is mutual. I just want to say you could have been on a treadmill for the last hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> I've got to run some errands. I probably should have been on a treadmill. <laughs> I've got to, uh, I'm off today, so I've got to get a couple things done. My wife gave me a list of a couple things i got to go knock out. So we'll do get that done, but uh, I appreciate the conversation. Okay, awesome stuff on a lot of different levels. Really, really, really cool. Sort of going behind the curtain of Todd's job, or I guess jobs, with both the TV station and the production of The Coaches Show. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for continuing to help make this happen. And, of course, thanks to every single one of you for your interest in listening. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.